0: You are listening to the David Cassidy Connections with your host, Louise Poynton.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode where my guest is Tony Mann, a musician, author, costume designer, curator, filmmaker, talent coordinator, music producer and lifelong David Cassidy fan. Born and raised in New York, Tony has been at the cutting edge of the music scene all his life. He told me he could talk a blue streak about David from the experience of seeing him at Madison Square Garden in 1972, getting to know him, and being present at his final show at B.B. King's in 2017. Tony is a co-author of Lost Rockers, Broken Crashed Careers, and did a lot of work on New York rock Velvet Underground. He talks about the respect musicians such as David Bowie and Lou Reed had for David, and the project they had in mind for him which never happened. He also reflects on how David almost joined a short-lived rock band. His desire to be recognised as a serious musician questions why his so-far unreleased back catalogue is important to David's artistic legacy and his disappointment as to why people put boundaries around his music. Tony designed costumes for Joey Ramone, Zoolander and many others. In his fast-paced recollections, We cover many of his observations and experiences of fandom. We linked up over Zoom, and in the background, you can hear the sounds of New York City. But we started by talking about gifts David gave him, including a genuine puka shell necklace.
0: It's pretty wild Uh, when I went to go do some recording with him that uh, he gave me a bunch of things. He just was very generous, and uh, I brought him some gifts, and he gave me a bunch of things. So it was really, really nice, and... um, I was wearing this for you so you could David oh, gave me that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. David strung
0: this together himself in Hawaii on the beach.
1: That is something else.
0: So he sent me that poster, you know, that image. He sent me that. I didn't have that. He had some old magazine at his house. And he, uh, he sent me actually the, a tour book because when I went to the garden, they didn't have a tour book yet. Yeah. They had it later or something. And, um, anyway so it was cool to get that years later I never saw it then you know it's just funny funny how that is sometimes you know you know like I, I made posts for Joey Ramone but that I never posed for a picture with him even once but years later I got a picture a friend took of us at a candid gathering on a rooftop of a club you know for a holiday cookout and I was, I'm so glad to have that because I really love Joey but he was a very nervous person and um he really, uh, I never wanted to make him feel uncomfortable and like, like I was a fan, even though I was a fan. I told him I was, but he didn't believe I was a fan really of his, <laughs> but I was. <laughs> oh. It's good to see you and I, I love your book. It's really fun.
1: Oh, well, thank I've, you so much.
0: Yeah, I've looked over it many times. I, I was thinking, I don't know why I didn't get it right when it came out, to be honest. I hadn't seen it in any bookstores here. And then recently I was walking in a bookstore looking for something else, like a European, my friend's an artist and he was in a featured in an Italian magazine. I've been looking, I still haven't found that, but I was walking and I looked straight ahead. I ran smack dab into your book and I'm like, I'm buying this right now. I don't care how much of it is. So I just was happy to get it and uh, really fun. And, um, you know, I love your show and all the, how you bring people together. In fact, I, I went and got together with one of the people that was on your show. And because we talked about going to David shows and talked about our fanship and whatnot, you know. Yes. So um, anyway, but... uh,
1: (laughs) That's fabulous. Oh, thank you so much for doing this, Tony. Yeah. Oh,
0: I'm happy to. I really like your show. And uh, it's um, rekindled like a feeling in me, you know, like, you know, when I was a kid, because that was when I was a very young boy, when I went to Madison Square Garden. You know, I was was six years old when I went to Madison Square Garden show, okay? I had an outfit. I made my mom make me one of those jumpsuits. And um so that kind of inspired me to become a somewhat of a designer, you know. I make costumes and clothes for a lot of celebrities and rock and rollers and whoever. Never made anything for David. I gave him a couple of things I made, but um I I never personally made anything for him. I didn't really go there because I was just so flabbergasted with even being around him and talking to him was just like all consuming, you know. But he always asked me about me and he was really uh wasn't all about himself kind of person. He uh was a really wonderful guy and really um you know uh a tormented guy sadly in a lot of ways you know and um you know i i'm glad i got to see him perform in so many different realms and everything the different musicals and uh, efx and rap pack and uh, blood brothers and many concerts and even in even the last concert i was there and i could yeah. tell you how I, I got into that that was funny too but uh I'm from New York. I live in New York City. I uh, grew up in and around music and my um, my family's very supportive with that. I started, I don't remember really not playing music. I'm a drummer and um, I don't really remember not playing or hearing or going to see live music. Mm. Some of the earliest shows I ever remember were The Who or bands like that. Early Alice Cooper, The Who, T-Rex, Slade, all the, you know. Very, very young age, going to these shows. I was excited. I had the records, and I was excited by these bands. And uh, you could go see them almost every night. You could see someone in New York for free, outdoors or at a show. And my my uncle and my dad had friends that worked in um you know in music, played music. My dad had a good friend who played uh, trumpet and trombone for um, Sinatra, Elvis, Peter Frampton, and all kind of people. So you know, the same year I saw David at the Garden, I saw Elvis at the Garden as well. And uh, two, sh- two shows as well in one day. Most people did two shows in one day uh, back then. But anyway, so um, I would get to meet a lot of these people. So it was always around kind of, I guess, musicians and celebrities. And I never I never thought of these people kind of as celebrities because we you know, oh, we know, you know, Buddy Rich or we know mm-hmm. our Blakey year. my dad liked the jazz musicians really. Gene Krupa, and this this ties into David, the Gene Krupa thing. So you know uh, all kinds of different jazz he liked, but he did like rock and Latin and all kinds. My mom liked rock, rock and uh, softer kind of rock, and occasionally like some pretty rowdy blues or rock. But the, um, my dad was a little bit of a musician, but never really in a band. But um, but they just. Love music, my uncle played bass. I have an un- another uncle who was a singer-songwriter who I've recorded with and whatnot. And um, he lived out in LA Like during the period when like Motley Crue and those bands were coming up in the 80s. So I got to know about those bands before people on the East Coast or even see some of them like Quiet Riot or... I really uh, was lucky in that respect, and being in New York was a very creative place to grow up. And on the East Coast, traveling around, but and it was if there was a big show, I would go to multiple venues in different states or anything. Like we would just travel. My parents split up when I was very young, so um, I think if I wanted to do anything that inspired me or something that everybody would kind of you know never really said no, and it was different than a lot of kids' parents. by the time I was in high school, I was taking kids to you know funkadelic shows and things, P funk and everything, and but I didn't bring any friends to the David show at the Garden, and uh, it was a big deal show. And I also went to some others around that time, which was at a Garden State Arts Center and NASA Coliseum. And but I just thought the Garden show was spectacular, and it was, uh, you know, because you know David was born in New York, and for all New Yorkers, it was a big deal because he was such a huge star already, you know, by then. And uh, people now, I don't think really get it how big he was (laughs) like how popular he was uh Mm -hmm. it's hard to put into perspective just maybe say like Elvis or I guess whatever some of the modern day boy bands but it was kind of all the excitement from one guy you know um and plus because he was on the tv show it really he already had a hit record when the tv show started so it was just like a phenomenon and um yeah he has such a beautiful voice and expressive and uh you know he's really up there with my favorite singers and he would always be really happy when I said something like that because I think you know he wanted to be really considered a an artist and a musician and he really did stuff that was different and cool and when you listen back to it all now he covered a lot of bases and uh he had like a lot of kind of odds against him of being you know just another pretty face thing or whatever but he was super talented and uh very humble, actually, if you, if you knew him on any level, which I, luckily I did. So I thought this, this show at the Garden was nuts because believe me, I, to, I saw Elvis, I'm telling you, the same year. And uh, the David show was much more explosive and exciting. Of course, it was all like much younger people, kids. Kids, and I'm in my jumpsuit, and a lot of people were. I wouldn't had like a David haircut, and there's boys and girls, and mostly, almost all girls. I heard a guy on, on your show that, Said he was at the show i didn't see very many guys you know if there were, i was the only guy i saw right then you know besides someone's parents you know and um it was all girls and some girls were even like why are you here said that to me you know when i was a little kid you know <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just i love i look i love this you know and plus i was dressed up in a jumpsuit that so was like <laughs> 22 but i mean if i Everywhere I went, I would be dressed like that or, you know, Batman, basically at the time. (laughs) Uh, 20,000 screaming, hysterical people and some great music going on, too. Sounded like the record, like they really sounded accurate and beautiful. Like it was a great presentation. I wish there was a a video or film of the show. I mean, I know there's news footage and footage of other shows, but I wish of that particular show that there was a video or or film because it was spectacular. And I've seen a lot of shows at Madison Square Garden. And I have to tell you that the audio and the sound wasn't technology, wasn't what it is today. Like today a show at the garden or a big space it is fantastic. And I've seen shows at Wembley, the old Wembley and everything. They used to have the PA, the sound system on the stage, sitting on the stage. So now they're all flown in the air and it's not, before all the sound was going down into the floor and it, You know, and it was a big, boomy room. Uh, You know, Madison Square Garden was not designed for sound, for audio. Better, much better now. They got sound designers in there and all that. It's different. But then it was like a big, echoey mess sometimes. Some shows would sound terrible. And usually the louder the show would sound worse then. But uh, David's show wasn't too loud. It was a nice volume kind of like Elvis's show. You could hear everything very clear when he spoke to the crowd and people just bugged out. Sorry if I interrupted you. I just got excited. No,
1: (laughs) no, no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever have the opportunity later on to talk to David about the garden show?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I did. I did talk to him about it and about a lot of shows I was at. And some of them he didn't remember. And uh, that one he remembered because that was extremely important to him. That was like he had something approved there. And, uh, and I think he proved it. I mean, nobody else was more popular that night anywhere in the world, probably, you know. So it was kind of like, yeah, man, I was there. So he, he really, he knew I was at that show as a kid. So it must have made a big impression. And I said, of course it did, because how could it not? I mean, it was.
1: Did he ever admit that he had a copy of the complete audio no, you
0: know, he said that somebody did and uh, he had heard some of it, you know, and he, he said someone did, but that he couldn't get it together. He was like a little pawn in that whole scene right then, you know, and he was, you know, spent the night alone in a hotel, you know, with soaking wet clothes. And all, You know what I mean? He was just whisked out of there so it wouldn't get uh, pulled apart by all these screaming maniacs. He really couldn't get the most out of the whole night. It was just all he could do to get through it. And there was so much buildup um, to the time going up to the show. Um, you've probably seen the, you know, articles of him rehearsing and everything before the show. And uh it was really he was nervous, you know, because even though he had been doing some shows before this, it was this was such a big show for his career. And he was the focus was all on him and uh they would just uh all they could do was to do the show. And in fact that show was one of the first shows that had the big closed circuit TVs. That's why I thought there could there could be Like a primitive video, if somebody had filmed that, you know, later when they did that with video systems, Mm -hmm. that's why we have a lot of concert footage because it's those screen footage that you're seeing, right? It's the in-house video that you're seeing. And that's a whole other legal matter. Um, When you go to film or take pictures in the garden, if you play in a prestigious venue, such as even here in New York, Irving Plaza, which I played at, you know, I've been on stage at the garden with some people, but I haven't performed there as like a feature person or something. But my friends have performed there and I've made clothes for people that performed there and everything. I've been on stage with Iron Maiden and on the garden stage, the same stage he was on there, but i was joking to my friend the other day my best friend the other day because he was in a band that was direct support of iron maiden at the garden and he 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 was he's a bass player but he made a point to say something in the mic at the garden because it's a big thing to a musician that you know the number one venue in the world basically to a musician is madison square garden even though it's not the biggest it's not it's something about it is Mm -hmm. magnetic and i guess because it's in new york i really think that um there was just so much going on for the show. They couldn't get it together too bad because I would love to see, see that or hear the whole show again, because it was, it was magical. Yeah. And other shows I saw were too, but in a different way, you know, little moments that were just beautiful. And uh, his voice was always fantastic. And I never saw a show where he had a blown out voice or anything. <clears throat> one uh, time he, he was saying he had a little bit of trouble during one of the um, rap pack. Cause it was singing kind of in a different range a little here and there, but during the show i couldn't tell at all you know it's like it was amazing He was just singing like bobby darren you know
2: <laughs> it's who he
0: loved you know who he loved those guys and that that whole thing and uh i had a, I had a good friend lee black childers and he was um a photographer for warhol and all, every teen magazine and, and things like that but they wouldn't even take a credit they just get paid for the photos. so i have some you know proof sheets of lee where he would be in the day um shooting like david cassidy at you know serendipity or something and then in the afternoon uh peter frampton outdoor showing at night like alice cooper or so you know all in one day lee um this is what i was trying to make this point that lee childers also became the manager of the stooges and um a few other bands and he was in england during johnny thunders and the heartbreakers tour with the sex pistols like that first Sex Pistols tour, he was on that as the mm. manager of Johnny Thunders. Uh, he's been around, right? And, and he's a photographer. Well, this picture I have from Lee, you know, we saw David in Max's Kansas City and he, um, he was talking to Alice Cooper and he looked older than Alice Cooper and he had already kind of retired, you know, and Alice Cooper was talking to him about, you know, what happened and the, the girl had been um, died at his show everybody all the all these rocker guys love david they thought he was super cool and uh you know uh in this photo like you know david's like what 24 then when he retired something like that and uh it's only a couple of years after the garden but he was like just decimated personally you know and it took him a while to bounce back from that and keep going but he did he did he always was seemingly creating music even when he was going through a tough time you know that was a good that's why he's an artist, you know, he really was truly an artist besides being like, you know, the ultimate pop idol teen icon, you know, really, you know, and uh, he really took it to another level and connected with so many people. A lot of musicians, all, you know, Partridge family, a lot of people started playing music because of that. I was already playing music before the Partridge family started when I, mean, I was a real little kid, but that's very rare. And um, maybe maybe nowadays kids start earlier, I think, though. So well, that's great, too. But yeah. that was a good um, creative thing to get people into music. And, you know, basically, you know, you know, it was a cool, it was a cool thing. It was, um, that was a fun series to watch every week. I remember waiting for the new one to come on and having bubblegum cards or whatever, have some posters <laughs> or something. And sure, I have a lot of stuff. Some things went by the wayside, but I still have some because, but I do have a lot of, things and i have things david gave me and some photos some ticket stubs some things like that because um i held on to it meant something to me certainly at the time you know and uh it inspired me to do you know what i do in life besides music so that's a lot that i do so david was like act like really deferred to me and said a lot of really kind things and he was a really sweet person I'd like to tell you about the Sal connection of connection um, with Gene yes, um, sure. Krupa, uh, the jazz drummer. In New York, when I was a kid in Times Square, I met Gene Krupa, who was the first drum idol, really. He was, looked like a movie star, and he played drums with Benny Goodman, and he had a drum solo and sing, sing, sing. And he was a re- like, really super good-looking, charismatic drummer. Mm-hmm. And he was the first really drum idol before Buddy Rich, even. And nice. um, so Gene, uh, there was a movie about him, the Gene Krupa story. He was, it was played by Sal Minio, yep. who played drums in the film very well, I might add. I was with David one time in one of his places. We walked by some things and there was, I said, that looks like Gene Krupa's drum kit. And he said, uh, yeah, it, it was. It was. This is in L.A. He said, it, it was. Um, it belonged to Sal Minio, who was a good friend of mine. And, uh, he played Gene in the Gene Krupa story and he gave me this drum kit. Sadly, he passed away. And I told him I had a friend that was cast to be in a movie with Sal Minio about the Chicago seven. And, uh, when Sal, uh, died, the movie was off and Donald Sutherland was in this. A lot of people it would have been good for everybody involved. So it was kind of sad. So we talked about that and, but he sat down and proceeded to play just like Gene Krupa on the drum kit. David did, and I, you know he can play drums, right? You've seen him play drums? Yeah. And, and he always used to play little drums at the show, and um, he loved the drum. and you have a picture of him in, in your book of David at the drum kit, which is probably one a kit like Hal Blaine probably gave him, you know? I talked to Hal Blaine about david and everything at one point too sadly he's passed away as well he's the most recorded drummer in history played on the partridge family records you know the thing is that david played like that and i and i was there to play with him on some recording i said why do you need me like you're already a drummer he said no the personal timing between people is what makes music really happen the personal tension and he's like i could play all these instruments a little bit and make a song i've done that but you know especially the drums he goes i think are crucial to a cool recording so Anyway, it was really sweet that he said all that stuff and very thoughtful. So um, I was just astonished that he, that he did that. And, I, and uh, Sean has this drum kit now. Sean, his brother, Sean, half-brother, Sean. I wrote to him about that and told him about it. And it's kind of a cool like, thing to, to learn about David and uh you know weird connections you may have never heard this before but um there was a band uh, you know iggy pop and the stooges right well one of the guys who was in the stooges in the period was called jimmy Recca. he's a bass player from ann arbor michigan he was only in it for for a small period when they toured with alice cooper but uh it was an important period for the band and uh later on right he had um these guys moved they were all in hollywood you know, when David was right in this period, they were hanging out with David new band um, started from the ashes of the Stooges. It had Jimmy Recca and Ron Ashton. It was called the new order, not new order, mm-hmm. the new order, right? What happened is, um, and, and you can hear them on YouTube. Only a demo came out really the, the album was never mixed and thing didn't happen. But at one point they were hanging out with David at the Roxy and rainbow and drinking all the time with him and having, and they were friendly with David and uh, he loved the stooges and all that. And it, they wanted to make a band with him. They wanted him to be the singer of the New Order. And he wanted to do it. And really, people he was working with at the time talked him out of it. Because they, they even rehearsed with him and everything. And uh, they said it was super fun. He was really cool. And he was into that kind of music, which was like a lot harder edge. And, um, you know, he knew, he knew a lot of kind of music. And he liked a lot, of, a lot of styles of music. More than and what, you know.
1: He was clearly hugely respected amongst the people he wanted to have. Yeah. That's
0: correct. That's correct. That's what I meant when I said like, you know, the people here were into him at the time are people that were in the like peers, you know, they, the, the people in the music industry didn't have any problem with David. They thought he was cool. Uh, if they were some people were jealous. He's like very attractive guy who's getting all the attention. Some people were very jealous of that. And he, he had a hard time with a lot of that. And he had the problem with his father, which is unfortunate. And just really kind of led to his end, I think, which is very sad. The the last bits of his life were really, really like, uh, it's a real tearjerker, you know. I can't watch that that uh, show. <laughs> I cannot no. get through that last show. It's just uh, brutal, that show about when he's doing the songs for his dad and everything. And oof, it's... Uh, uh-huh he never got over that he never got over that unfortunate you know
1: in that particular documentary he was just like a vulnerable child
0: yeah yeah and uh it's really uh kind of a guy who called a lot of places home you know but felt like homeless i think ultimately maybe you know and it was really weird because the last i saw him at the last show and so you know i I went from seeing him the first time at the garden and the last time at at bb king's the final show and when that show went on sale, it wasn't said that that was going to be his last show or anything and tickets went on sale and I, I was going to be out of town and I was kind of bummed out like I wanted to go and time to see David, of course. And then I, all this stuff was on the news about him with the Alzheimer's and this and that and the other thing. And then that's going to be his last show. And I, I, I didn't really believe that too much. You know, it, it was pretty apparent. You know, he had a bad, bad problem because I'm from New York and I've had a lot of friends <laughs> go through all kinds of addictions. I played with one of the guys from the Ramones. Okay. You know, I've had a lot of friends who OD'd and, you know, I've been very close to people who you know, I, I've been asked to leave rooms because I wasn't a junkie here, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Like, Oh, you're not doing this. Get out. So anyway, but David, I think was a very lonely guy because look how many times he got in trouble for, for drunken driving and he could have had a, a driver, I told him a couple of times, you need to get a driver, man. This is crazy. Should... David Cassidy, man, he shouldn't have a driver. I'll be your driver if you, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I just love the guy. I just felt, I hated seeing him go through this stuff. Anyway, so I couldn't get tickets all of a sudden because they said it's his last show ever. So now everybody that was still around that went to the garden, which is 20,000 people, wants to go to BB King's, which is not 20,000 <laughs> capacity. Okay, it's a club. Mm-hmm. And I've played there myself, you know, many times. So, um, and been there many times. What I did was, there was a club next door, Lucille's. My friend hired me to come by and help, like, learn from him to, like, do the sound in the Lucille's Blues Club, part of the smaller part of the club. And I was going to actually start doing that. But then the whole place went under and everything. So it didn't happen, right? But right. Uh, so this is around that time. So if you went into Lucille's, you could walk through this door, through the kitchen, and right into the main room. So that's what I did. I didn't have a ticket i couldn't get one for any money so i just walked in through the kitchen like everybody else and i just went a little early and david was too busy i didn't even try to get to him it was mental everybody was he was he was trying to stay away from people and i can't blame him i did see him very briefly and he didn't he didn't remember me at first because I used to have orange hair right (laughs) right right, orange i used to have black, black and orange hair he remembered me from that and uh when the times when i with him the most i had really fluorescent bright orange hair right and
2: right. you know
0: i think i looked mostly the same besides that um but uh then i reminded him he's and i just pulled my hair back and he's like oh my god <laughs> and, he, and he felt kind of bad you know but his eyes were starting to go weird his eyes were starting to bug him and he had i think he had cataracts or something he was saying it was his eyes so that night all these people were taking flash pictures and he flipped out on the crowd because it was going crazy and bb kings when you played there it's the kind of place where the lights are in your eyes you kind of can't see people you see like the light kind of thing a lot of people don't realize that if you're on stage the experience is a lot different than when you're in a crowd okay so bb kings kind of feels like you're playing on the partridge family it's kind of felt like rinky dink it's dinner theater and there's people eating and you're trying to perform i've played there it's a little weird i played there with some pretty like rock and act so it kind of feels a little lame that people are sitting there eating they did do shows where people weren't sitting down but they for david and other place people they, they, they they had as many tables so they can serve dinner and drinks and make a big deal out of that and it's kind of like not why people are really there okay the place was like terrible to musicians and bands that played there as well even though it was supposed to be BB King's, who David loved, BB King actually. So uh, it was like felt a little cheesy to play there, and it felt like you were playing to on the Partridge Family episode, which is I did kind of like that in a way, because that was a novelty, like weird, after playing like real venues. And um, you know, when I played there, the lights were insanely in my eyes, and I couldn't see. And a lot of times when you're playing on stage, you can't see the audience; you can see a couple people or certain ones back there, depending what the lighting was. There's holes in the lights, you know. It's like if someone's shining a flashlight in your eye and sometimes the sound on stage is atrocious or great or different than what people are hearing in the audience. So there's a different sound system for the crowd called the PA and you have on stage monitors. So monitors are what musicians are listening to the other members, whoever they want to hear, they can have in their speaker or headphones or ear- earbuds. Right. Yes. So that's what it's like. There's a very disconnect between stage and audience in a in a mm-hmm. performance and in a venue. And David was good at bridging that and just acting like, I'm there with you, I'm here with you. That's his thing. But on that kind of stage, which is a little cheesy for him compared to where he's performed, but he doesn't care. He just loves music, right? He loves the fans. He does love the fans a lot. That's the only reason he's there and he he knows that. He really uh has a love-hate relationship with all kinds of things because he's just been tortured by so many things in his life and career. And uh But that last show was, you know, I was glad I was there and saw him one last time, but I didn't know he was going to pass away. It was just really awful and heartbreaking to hear that news. I still feel bad about it and forget, you know, sometimes. And, uh, you know, mm. want to call him we, or something. Or yeah, him, do, you know?
1: do you look back and, and wish you could have had just that, extra conversation with
0: him um well I tried all I could but I didn't want to drive him nuts with this type of stuff because it it wasn't like his favorite thing you know honestly he would talk to me he never said he didn't want to talk about anything but I spoke to him I'm sure he had people much closer to him than me that talked to him about everything you know for sure his family members and it was just uh yeah I mean everybody wished they could have saved him and of course, but, um, I think it was like uh, being around people who, alcoholics, you know, growing up around alcoholics and seeing this and, uh, you can't save that person. They, you can't do it. And you can't take that on yourself. But since we all loved him as an artist and, you know, selfishly when he was here, <laughs> but, uh, he was very tortured and he's at peace now. And that's the best thing I can say about it. Like he didn't suffer some long dreadful illness he didn't have to go through this stupid COVID time, which is nonsense for everybody. This isn't even like living anymore. We got to get into life somehow again, I hope it all world opens up so I can actually meet you and other people. I like to go to London and go all around the world. I don't, I'm not a person that stays in one place. I, I love to travel and meet people. And, and uh, that's the, you know, makes the world one place, not all these separate little divided places. And, um, David was about bringing people together with music and look, he's doing it even right now. So that's really nice. You know, I just try to look at the, the positives. You know, there's things he was really, things he wished he almost did. He told me, um, he kind of wish he did this one thing. You probably know about this, but um, you know, Lou Reed and David Bowie at one point after that period when David was around New York and he wasn't doing so good after the, the girl had been um, died at his show. Uh, he was kind of retired, and uh, at one point Lou and um, Lou Reed and David Bowie pretty much wrote him a rock, proposed to rock, do a rock opera with him for him. They wrote all these songs for him, and he went over to David Bowie's apartment <clears throat> when David Bowie was li- living in the West Village. David Bowie didn't live like too far from where I live now uh, for a long time here. Too He lived in New York for a long, long time. He, Lou Reed and Velvet Underground helped make the whole New York rock scene. There was no New York rock scene really before that. There was, you know. Ronettes and people like that and the Alan Freed rock and roll shows and that early rock and roll stuff and like in Brooklyn Fox Theater and places Mm -hmm. like that. But in Manhattan, it wasn't really rock Mm -hmm. bands like a rock scene the same way until after like Warhol, Velvet Underground and then Lou Reed then New York Dolls and on and on It kind of progression oh. and opened up but Max's Kansas City was right near where Union Square where Warhol was so all those people were around and part of this Warhol scene Bowie and, and Lou Reed were certainly part of that so Lou Reed and Bowie wrote this thing for David they idolized David and they thought he was they, were, they wanted to be him really they were just like wow this guy's wow we wish we were that in a way you know And um, they wrote this rock opera thing for him and like, I'm all grown up now was one of the songs. And it was kind of like in tandem with like all the Naked Lunchbox, Rolling Stone uh, interview. It was kind of like with that, like they wanted to help him break out of being teen idol and be like, I'm a rock and roller. Right. But David thought the songs were kind of too obvious. And he was already kind of like Bengali his whole life, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like somebody was already writing all these songs. He he wrote some songs, you know, like Ricky's tune. It was a beautiful song. He, and he they let him have some of his songs here and there, you know. But then he had his own career, obviously. And uh, he didn't want to go back where other people were writing the songs, you know, unless it was, you know, something he loved. He just wasn't hearing it. But they, he went to this scene with like you know a wild scene as you can imagine in the 70s of, of bowie and lou reed and we're, here's this whole thing for you david and like we want you to really become super huge like and get cred and everything and and uh, he just didn't hear and he said like i kind of wish i would have done that in a way but it just seems so trite and obvious what they were portraying and their vision of me and that's not how i really see myself so i couldn't wholeheartedly go through with it and i was still too fractured from the whole thing with the girl passing away and everything there are people that have been famous and frustrated with it as well and they're trying to take they know he's aggravated by this the business too and they're trying to elevate him as an artist right and put him in this other place but by doing that it's kind of like too much focus on him it's just like okay we just got to shake it off and start over instead of have people prepare this whole thing for you even though he was terribly flattered by it and had some thoughts about maybe he should have done it yeah. <clears throat> and did whatever he did with them as well but mm-hmm. uh when he went to there, you know he just called it was like a real rock and roll bacchanalia freak scene when he went over there to wherever and to they performed for him and said these are these songs here's some yeah. you know little little demo ideas for this is what we have for you in mind for you uh, they're all not it's a shame they're all not here to talk about it because it'd be amazing to have all three of them talking about it. So he had, that was like kind of a missed opportunity, a lot of people would say, because um, a lot of people don't even know about that. And uh, we talked a little bit about that, because I know people that have worked with both those artists, all those artists.
1: Yes, because there was talk of him forming a band with Mick Ronson.
0: Yeah, well, Mick Ronson, yeah, I'm friends with Susie Ronson. Susie Ronson is um, uh, the person who cut, david bowie's hair and colored it for ziggy stardust and everything and cut mick's hair and everybody's right in the band she later married mick ronson after that little era right uh she 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 liked david a lot she said they, they had great respect for each other mick and uh david but they and and mick was involved in so many people's careers with lou reed and and uh, even john cougar mellencamp helped helped make uh hit records with so uh, Mick Bronson was a very important musician and very inspirational and uh, they definitely had a mutual admiration. And that, that would have been they, they made some music together, which you've heard, you know, and yes. um, he was more than just a guitar player, Mick Bronson. He was got the big picture and yes. it would have been good, good for them. But then, you know, Mick was with Ian Hunter. And then solo and then we stayed with Ian Hunter for a long time and then end up doing some other things, production things with, like, like I said, John Cougar and uh, some other people. He helped do Jack and Diane. That song, the sound of that song, especially the chorus and the exciting parts of that song is down to Mick Ronson's ideas and creativity all these people are they recognize each other when someone has talent like that they recognize it and they they have to say like that person has a gift and they're really i'd like to work with them so david did work with mick but he would have liked to do a band with him but you know in a way too it's like sometimes there's um too much for one room i mean david Cassie's is a big presence and so is mick ronson so think of that like because mick and david bowie was pretty balanced and and mick really never got the credit he deserved but um, David sure had it for him. David Cassidy sure had respect for Mick Ronson, absolutely. And uh, everyone in New York did for sure. Amazing talent, amazing.
1: There was a lot of uh, talk back in the 70s, and I've never really been able to substantiate it to any degree that David actually did go into the recording studio with Bowie.
0: Yeah, yeah, he did, he did, he did.
1: For a little bit.
0: I don't know what came out of it. He told me he did record a little thing here and there with him and, and worked on some ideas.
1: Elton John wanted to work with him. I mean, they performed on stage together in New Zealand, as you probably know. Sure. But he wanted to write well, for you, produce him, sign him to Rocket.
0: But Elton and a lot of people were interested in David because that's what was they knew that's what was going on. and they, they could see the quality of what he did. I mean, it's one thing to be a teen idol, but it's another thing that people are still talking about it 50 years later because when you listen to those songs his voice is so beautiful i mean that's really comes down to that there's the guy how he looks his image but there's also his his voice and he really had an amazing beautiful voice he was very very talented singer you know and uh it was um kind of you know like our generation sinatra or something like that you know what i mean like like i remember my grandmother talking about sinatra and you know they paid people to faint and things like this like to act like hysteric they didn't have to pay anybody to act like for David people were passing out. And I mean, Madison Square Garden, you know, was kind of that night when he played there was kind of like a war scene kind of in a way there was people passing out. There was it kind of smelled like a bathroom because people were peeing themselves. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it was like people were so excited. They were just like wetting themselves and passing out. Some people would pass out because they thought they would get to go backstage and meet him, And the other people just Legit passed out from freaked out from, from hysteric because people were screaming like a jet airplane the whole show just ridiculous just okay. I, I don't know how to describe it but just like say there's the whole show and everyone's going like this ah! the whole show every second it really never let up sometimes it got more intense because there was such a longing for people that just loved and wanted to be close to him and everybody wanted to be close to him or get a piece of him and. I wouldn't be surprised at all that anybody wanted to work with, with David if they weren't jealous of him, if they could put that aside. And that would take someone securing themselves like, like that kind of level star, like a Lou Reed, Bowie, Elton,
2: yes. Mark
0: Bolan. Mark Bolan and him, weren't they weren't friends at all that I know of. In fact, it was kind of like almost like a little bit of a rivalry because Mark felt like the fans left for, for David, you know? And Gloria uh, Jones talked to me about that too, and they were there. They couldn't get a hotel room once because David's people took it in some place they got bumped out of a room a little bit of a rivalry and they've seen each other on a plane before things like that were friendly enough but they weren't they weren't friends or anything like that they were both like in their own head like two of the most famous you know and exciting people you know so Mm. and you know beautiful people and you know even if they weren't singers just looked at those people you know just incredible so and just magnetic charismatic people you know same thing with mark he wasn't a big tall guy but he came in a room he would light up a room david came in a room he would light up a room I wanted to share with you another story too because I did um I met David at one time at an event and um, I think it was a signing. Can't even remember what it was in in fact, but he was David was gonna be there, so I went and brought some things to get signed and I said, You know, hey, I'm a drummer, if you if you ever need a drummer, call me up. I play rock and like heavy rock. You probably don't need any musicians, but I'm a fan of yours. I've been a fan of yours like most of my life. And, I, you know, I like all kinds of music. Here's my number, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. We're done. So he was friendly. I took some pictures with him and everything. And Wes Farrell was there that day, too. So I met Wes Farrell, which was really exciting to me. And nobody else. They're like, wow, nobody else even knows this guy who he is. I "I know who he is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> worked on a lot of important records that i love and is kind of an underrated producer Wes Farrell. but i got to meet him that was fantastic and um west was saying to david like this guy knows who i am said, yeah i'm sure he does you know <laughs> anyway so anyway <laughs> uh so one day you know david called me and uh said hey i'm working on some rough ideas for music if you want to come i'll give you you know Send you a ticket and you can come, you know, play and see what some happens. And you know, so I did. And uh that's when I saw the drum set that was um Gene Krupas that he got from from Sal and everything. And uh we're playing together and there's there's no it was just me and him. There's no other musicians even there. And I kind of just think it's a put on. I'm also just being kind or I don't even know what's going on. Uh he's like playing this groove and he's like, Hey, do you know, you know, John Cicada? And I said, actually, yeah, I do. It's, you know, popular artist now, and it's Latin, kind of dancey vibe. Do, do, that do, do, these kind of dancey things. He goes, yeah, I want to do some songs like that. I go, you do? And he goes, yeah, okay. Probably do whatever you want. I mean, sure. So we're playing these beats like that, and he's singing and playing some uh it turned out to be the song no bridge i wouldn't cross i'm playing this rhythm and on the on the hi-hat cymbals i'm playing this rhythm and he goes uh this is like black sabbath and i go yeah it is like black sabbath so he knew all kind of music okay and i worked on this thing that became that song you know with him it's funny because it just it sounds almost like a machine now and it's not credited to me but it is me playing on it and another thing that ties into that is that i once bought a rock me album in a at a tag sale very and I, it said like ten dollars on it i already had rock me but it seemed to be like something different about the pressing. so i went i'll just buy it i'll buy it umpteen copies of every album anyways once i saw it there i'm like wow rock me like i can't believe i'm seeing this and i said 10 i'll give you like seven dollars and the guy's like that's 10 cents pal and i'm like here's here's a dollar okay he wants 10 cents for this for this i couldn't believe it you know so I have this album and I opened it and there was a letter in there and the letter is from David and it's handwriting. I have it still. And it says, Hey, girls, Joe and whatever he wrote this, he sent this record to two girls, I guess groupies or friends or whatever. Right. And he told me it was groupies. So whatever, (laughs) but um, anyway, so um, he sent these two girls and uh, it's the rock when the rock me album came out and on the back, he scratched out a couple of things of the names. And he wrote my good friend, Ellie Greenwich, worked hard on this album and he mentioned a couple other people that were not credited on the on the album to them personally because he cared about it and he didn't put together the packaging for the album or anything like that you know what i mean so uh, so i had that and i I told him about that and he's like yeah that's a funny thing man i don't have anything to do with that sometimes and i go well it's funny because i play on this song and i'm not credited on it too (laughs) with you and he's like i know i know i know that and that was a big political thing and uh had a lot of trouble with record labels where they went under and before they could pay him and stuff you know with scotty brothers and all that stuff so anyway when that when that old trick new dog came out he came here to new york to promote it at one point at south street seaport right so he invited me and sue was there and Bo was a little boy then that sue was trying to do charity and i was trying to help her you know sell whatever to help with a charity. And um, Bo was a little boy. So we're all there at this signing. And he wanted to invite me because he felt kind of bad about the whole thing. And whatever, I got a trip out there, I get to hang out with you. He gave me lots of cool gifts. He was super friendly. I didn't really care. Honestly, I didn't look to get paid. It was just an honor to have anything to do with him, to meet him, to hang out with him, to get to know him a little bit. Right. And anytime I ever saw him, he was more than nice. At this South Street Seaport event, You know, I got the CD signs from Old Trick New Dog, right? It wasn't on vinyl. It was only a CD. There's all these people, fans of all ages, but mostly not young ages, there to get stuff signed by David. And it's still as hysterical anyway, no matter what their age is right now. He's like, everyone calm down. It was screaming and flipping out. And, uh, you know, his family's there. And David told me, after this, we're going to go across the street. to. I have to do a ribbon cutting, like for some new business. There's a little outside... um, shopping area uh, in Lower Manhattan, South Street Seaport. It's like a pier and docks and all this. And there's little cute shops outside. He said, after the signing, I'm going to go across the street. I want you to come with me. I'm going to do a ribbon cutting. And then maybe we could have something to eat or whatever. Right. So I spent the day kind of hanging around the signing and that was, it didn't go on that long, but it was pretty hysterical. And he kept this cool and he signed everything for people and posed for pictures. (laughs) When he went to walk across the street, there wasn't really any security, okay? So everybody kind of bugged out and they started to jump and attack him and come close. Like, David, you know, come here and try and like grab him. And so he made a run for it and he left us all there. Like me and his family, we're standing there. And um, it was a hysterical scene. He just escaped across the street. He, He meant to escape them. They didn't get him. And uh, when we went over to the place and found him, he was kind of looked really shaken. And he said that it was kind of like the garden and times like that when people would it was like a flashback, yeah. like almost someone who had been in battle. And then he's back in it again. This kind of thing is shell shock. So this is kind of like been his life, you know, in some some aspect, even till then, this is way a big span of time since that's happened. Right. And this happened again for a second. He was like, boom, brought right back. So that was a big, impactful thing on his life, all that era. And, you know, I've met Henry Diltz and, you know, Bob Gruen. And like I said, my friend Lee, who photographed him and others during that, when he was being put in the back of a car in a blanket. And so it was kind of like eye-opening to be in the middle of that and feel, I kind of got that feeling, what he felt from being there right then, you know?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I would never put myself in his shoes, but... Just to be that close to it and be close to him and there with him at that event yeah. to to be able to have that experience and think about it, like think try to think through his mm-hmm. mind, like what it must have been like to approximate it. I mean, there's very few people ever uh, in, in celebrity history that can go toe to toe with him and that have been through what he's been through. But to to at least get to know him a little bit and, you know, some type of friend, I consider him a friend. You know, i um, really an acquaintance. I don't really know him, you know, but um, to get to meet him and to, I wish I knew him more and spent more time, but it's, everybody wants to spend time with him, you know, and then ultimately, sadly, he ends up alone, you know, just like awful feeling, you know? So um, I really think uh, it's kind of heartbreaking thing to see somebody go through this celebrity mill. And, you know, anyone who is a child star is lucky that they live past a certain age. I've met a lot of them you know and have been pretty damaged or didn't make it and, you know or later you know you know look at Mike, michael jackson what happened or when we were when i was with at that time in california we he lived very near rick james right at that time i was making clothes for um funkadelic you know buty collins and p funk and and they said some of those guys told me um you know rick james wants to make some weird costumes again like super freak and maybe you can work with him so i, I did get together with rick james but unfortunately he he passed away too but um Rick was living there near David and it was he had all these like crazy incidents where he was nobody here gets out alive but it's like it's it's terrible to see someone that has brought so much pleasure to people go through you know difficulties in their life everyone has problems in their life and uh you know Joey Ramone of the Ramones was a very good friend of mine I've made clothes for him for a number of years and a lot of other celebrities and he he couldn't have been more down to earth and he um and he was sick for 10 years with terrible things and he would never complain about his illness or anything. And then, you know, finally passed away, but I'm glad David didn't have to suffer some long, terrible illness or anything that, that we know of. Seems like he was struggling more with inner demons his whole life, more than anything that, you know, which is unfortunate because he brought me so much happiness to people and, and joy to people and still does and still does. And, and all kind of emotions in, in his songs that are really pull at your heart and really, um, you know, about love, a lot of them. And, uh, Most of them really a lot about love. He's from that generation of, you know, Woodstock and that togetherness through music. And music is a powerful thing. And it goes beyond people. It goes beyond uh, language, people bringing us together.
1: How did he see himself? Did he ever talk to you about the way (laughs) to, to be seen as a serious rock star? Because I asked yeah. that because there was also talk back in back in the day in '74 mm-hmm. he was due to come back here in October of that year mm-hmm. and right. play at Earl's Court.
0: Oh, that would have been amazing!
1: And there that was a suggestion that he was going to be like a young Mick Jagger.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, that should have happened. I mean, he, yeah, he loved all those bands. Jimi Hendrix, he loved Black Sabbath. He loved, he, he wanted to be mentioned in the same sentences as these people. Frank Sinatra, Bobby Darin, all the early rock and rollers, Elvis, obviously he was, because they had the similar jumpsuits Elvis called him, they talked for, um, about the jumpsuits and everything with nudie suits. And uh, he wanted to be mentioned and taken very seriously. Like he wanted to be mentioned in the same breath as these kind of people and taken seriously as a musician. And, you know, it really didn't happen. It really, it really didn't. Yeah. But, the, you know, the, he did have, you know, people that worked with him all along that were the best musicians of all time, the Wrecking Crew. And and Hal Blaine spoke very highly and the Baller Brothers very highly and the Wrecking Crew who played on everything. The yeah. Beach Boys didn't play on the records. These people did. And they said, David's a super talent. And anybody like Lou Reed, Bowie. And so he, that meant the world to him that they thought highly of him. But he was kind of, he kind of almost felt like he was being used like a tool also, like that maybe they're just attracted to him physically as a person, which they were. I've heard I've heard people in Maxis, Kansas City say to other people, be my David Cassidy to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like that's like a fantasy role. Like so he was like a fantasy to people and being an actor and being on TV and a celebrity and being a person and a musician was all different things that he didn't really make it on. Broadway at first, in that first play he was in, The Fig Leaves Are Falling. But I did see him in Blood Brothers, and I thought that was really cool. Um, it was great. I'm glad I get to see that with him and Sean and Petula Clark on Broadway. And at the end, Petula yeah. Clark came out and sang Downtown. And that was like being accepted by all the peers there. But the same thing, it's like, it's also like he's a celebrity already. You can't kind of go back. Like, he kind of wishes he made it in all these fields on his own accord than just the name and face and good looks and blah, blah, blah. But whatever, however you make it, that's how you make it. And if people love you, just go with the crowd and you connected with so many people. So I kind of tried to say that to him. So I get that, but you just like, you connect with so many people. So it's just, that's great. Like, you can't really pick how that happens. Like, he has an idea of what he would want, the ideal dream of what he wished would happen, which, you know, that he could be. Mm-hmm. A Mick Jagger or, or or Hendrix or you know Crosby Stills and Nash or whatever in America the people he played with America he played with Mick Ronson these guys you know Mick Ronson didn't get the credit he deserved never mind David got a lot more famous than Mick Ronson okay
2: hmm. so
0: but you know they all did great stuff Flo and Eddie you know worked with David they worked with everybody and they recognized his talent and his his charisma and everything about him and Mm-hmm. So, anybody that's you know Alice Cooper, all these people you know he wished he could be like all that you know, and Elvis, and he could be all that, but Elvis had his own battles, you know, yeah. um, so fame's such a weird thing, and he, people can't pick how they get famous; they're just lucky to be become a name, and uh it could've been somebody else on that show, and they wouldn't have done the singing, they wouldn't have, the song wouldn't have been as big as a hit would have been focused on on Shirley. the whole thing's so bizarre and magical and of that time, and he was obviously trying to self-destruct his career at that one point and just get out you know and uh, did he ever uh,
1: talk to you about the frustrations of maybe feeling let down by the industry
0: oh yeah anyone who's worked in the music industry is like any you know just be a plumber okay just be an electrician go to trade school i mean music industry is there's a lot of famous things about it but it's it's a real um like trying to catch a butterfly you know it's like try to get paid try. a lot of people you know Fame, money, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, artistic respect. A lot of people get great reviews. They don't sell any records. A lot of people sell a lot of records. They don't get any money. I've been producing an artist right now, currently, right now. And her name is Carrie Abel. And she's really talented. She has has art galleries, She has, she has a poet, poetry books. I helped her start doing music. I helped her get, like, focus her music. She's streaming, like, 150,000 streams each song. Well, that pays about $50. Yeah. So what do you, what do you eat? You know, like even mm-hmm. if you're popular, that's, and that's like on a, that's not mega popular. There's influencers on Instagram who have like millions of followers, put it this way, she streams probably a million streams. So a dollar each, that'd be a million dollars. But instead it's like a hundred dollars <laughs> so yes. or a thousand dollars. So it just, it's ridiculous. And um, yeah, I mean, everybody who's worked in music is frustrated with music. Okay. You're living for the performance and the fans more than anything. Uh, the studio for some people can be super frustrating or great like for brian wilson it was a creative playground for other people it's a nightmare and they just want to get on the stage the traveling is brutal traveling is br- brutal where is you down even even in the best circumstances if you have your own jet like my friend toured with iron maiden okay um for five years and they're, they're their own plane they're flying around that we're going to easter island we're going here you're still traveling you're still sacrificing You don't see your family you don't see your spouse or partner or whatever you don't don't see your kid or whatever the case may be and you're giving that up for your art to entertain people and do what makes you feel like you and uh i think he just ultimately wanted to express who he was and have people love that and just say like you are great and people said that really i mean even when he was a teenager he got more adulation than anybody can even imagine so it's not that but just it's artistically and uh the business thing is just good luck with that anyway the best of them most people have had to have two or three careers to even like look like Aerosmith is still going okay mm. Aerosmith has been up and down and up and down and they had jets and they lost it and they had everything and they lost it and they came back so, uh sometimes you have to have like multiple careers before you start making the first bucks everyone's got their hand out and uh cutthroat industry. It's even worse now. Now now you and David had that loophole in his contract. He would have got paid worse. They didn't know he was underage and they had to re sign him and they had to pay him real money, which isn't real money compared to today, but then it was. If they took his likeness and uh his image and now now if you sign as a kid with any major thing, you're not getting anything. You could get famous and you're probably not gonna get rich. You'll make a name and then you'll have to go do something else, you know, be on a chat show or something. You know what I mean? Later. So (laughs) I, it's really unfortunate and terrible. And, you know, he had his close friends like Sam and other people that were close to him that were his real friends that really, really knew him. I can't claim to know anything like that. I barely knew him, but I got to know him a little bit and mm-hmm. talked to him and spend some time with him, which is really lucky. And I'm, I'm happy for it. And uh, I've met a lot of famous people, but he was very charismatic and, you know, as mu- as much as anybody. And, um, Certainly talented, and not just like oh, they picked him, and you know could have been anybody. It couldn't have been anybody. It wouldn't have been it would have been a lot different result if it wasn't him. It was actually him putting his himself into what he did, which is, mm. I think is that's what you feel like. You feel like you feel his presence, like when he sings, like mm. when he talks in a performance or in a song or in acting. You, you you know you feel even if he's acting, you kind of feel like it's him. You know to a degree. There's some elements of it that are and some that aren't. I suppose you know.
1: From your experience of being close to him, did he believe in himself and did he understand how much of an influence he was on other rock stars and people who later went to carve out very successful careers for themselves?
0: Sure, of course. Yeah, true. Um...
1: Did David understand the influence that he was having on people in the same way that he was influenced by the likes of the Beatles?
0: I think to a degree, but the thing is like, um, with somebody like, like David or creative people, um, they don't live on, um, compliments and, um, take everything kind of with a grain of salt and anybody could tell him like, you influenced me. I've loved you. Like, okay, like that's great. Like he's happy to hear that, but also he's has something inside him that keeps him from like, uh, wanting to perfect himself that makes him want to like strive for, better and strive for more and you kind of if you're if you're uh, a performer of any level you kind of have to know all right I'm at least this good okay I'm at least this level okay so I can perform people want to see me they want to they'll pay to see me okay and they will buy merchandise or whatever they maybe it's my looks maybe it's whatever but he he was aware I mean everyone telling him every day all day for a period think how many years of people coming up to him saying they love him and But at some point, I'm not saying it brings hollow, it it doesn't, he appreciates it, you know, or anybody appreciates a kind word about, you know, something you do, but I think that he really was more introspective and more he lived more inside himself, if you know what I mean, like in thinking of what he can do to better himself and not, you know, ultimately, the the dynamic with him and his dad and everything, I think he was just never going to be good enough, no matter who said what kind of really, you know, even his dad, which tra- tried a few times, you know, and uh, just it, it could never be enough. I mean, he loved his mom and family and and, and, and kids and everything. But I think it was really like, that that's that's a whole different thing. That's not show business. But 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 to himself, like I think he's never. I think he could never please himself, and he's ultimately doing it to please him, himself and, uh, and entertain others. He entertained the others, but he, the other end of it, I think he could probably never fulfill. It was too high of a bar with the thing with his dad, and uh, it's really it's really unfortunate. It's a very strange dynamic. I think a lot of people might not know that about about him and his career because he always put out, you know, a smile and he was just always smiling and like in that picture, you know, just uh, always smiling and putting out like a welcoming vibe you know as a person and he was a warm person he wasn't a jerk i've met celebrities that are terrible like acted so rude a really big star a couple of them too but to me they're not bigger than david like i don't respect them more certainly after that but you know like you know everyone has a bad day and you know you can meet someone and who knows what's going on in their world you know fair enough but come on you know like no don't be uh don't be that way to people like that are like he kind of thought other things are more important than (laughs) entertainment you know, to be honest, and he loved all the horses and um he loved, you know, he loved animals and and the, and the horse racing and other things, other interests besides music and all that that, you yes. know, kept him sane for some parts of his life when he wasn't having been tortured and tormented mentally, you know, it's like I really, all I can say is that inspired me to And I still love the music and think of good memories about him and about times at his shows or Mm. growing up, what, you know, and I'm still playing music. I produce music, I write rock and roll books. I work on documentaries I work in multimedia. And uh, he did too, because he worked with the EFX and he, he liked multimedia too. That's, you know, people don't really know, like he wanted to do more with technology. People weren't kind of ready for that show when it happened. I'd probably go over better now even though it was a hit it would be even bigger smash now that was kind of ahead of its time he wanted to be like he liked that being like a pt barnum guy or something you know (laughs) that's the other element of him that that was the part kind of like his dad I saw like some elements of his dad in there you know I didn't say that to him at the time but I kind of thought like yeah that's like I think his dad was like big but his dad was long long gone by the time he yeah. did that stuff you know So
1: the, the re- you you were mentioning that they're just now about the respect that people had for him you know when he died twitter went on fire there oh were, yeah it was like seven million people helped to make him trend that day and
0: wow really yeah i'm not surprised i'm not surprised it was really heartbreaking and uh, generational news well part of
1: our youth went with him
0: yeah oh yeah yeah kind of innocence you know for sure happiness (laughs) you know simple things in life kind of represented yeah a certain era for sure and uh yeah it was very sad very very sad news i wasn't surprised at the outpouring i mean uh now more and more people come out of the woodwork and say that they love that when maybe you know guys weren't so I have to say they were into it then. Yeah. Like, you know, you had to go buy like 16 or Tiger Beat or Teen Beat, like Girls Magazine, basically, you know, to get pictures of some of these people. But a lot of rock and roll is very macho. You know, David wasn't like a macho man guy, <laughs> you know. No, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know, he
0: definitely had some attitude. He wasn't, you know, a wimpy guy by any means, you know, for real. But he was, you know, a smaller, wasn't a giant guy. He wasn't a bit bodybuilder or martial artist or something. But he was a very charismatic and powerful guy in his own right to be able to command all this audiences. And if you think about it that way, it's it, it's another kind of power that people can't get. You can work out all you want and you're not going to get that. And you can do plastic surgery or whatever you want and you're not going to get it. And no, if thing. you've
1: got that charisma where it just touches people's, it doesn't just touch them. It touches their soul.
0: Yeah. Sure. And there's yeah. very
1: few people on this planet in his position who are able to do that. You can probably count them on the fingers of one hand.
0: Sure, absolutely. And, you know, David was far from being a saint as well. You know, he was he had a wild hair and everything. And, you know, he told me some funny private stories that I will not share. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but he, uh, he really, uh, he lived his life. He enjoyed it for the most part, aside from these other demons we talked about. But he did, like, manage to have some fun, you know, quite a bit mm-hmm. of fun.
1: What was and, the uh, um, the most fun time the two of you had together?
0: One really cool one was at the um, when he did, like, the comeback show and Danny opened for him. That was really great. That was really fun. I went to that. I went to see that in, um, mm. at Toad's Place in New Haven, Connecticut, a little club. I actually saw the Stones there once, too, which was really cool, but... And I told, I told him about that. He's like, wow, they played in there. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That was cool because it was like, he still had the energy and with the voice and everything. And people like came out and made a, made a big fuss. And, uh, and it was fun to see Danny too. And I thought that was great because that was, you know, we didn't get to see the real Partridge family on tour, but that was kind of close, <laughs> you know, like they had the butt, the fake bus that went around and everything, you know,
2: <laughs> so it had
0: the vibe of, of it. The, the most fun I just had was just to actually anytime I could see him was, fun and uh I never had any bad bad experience <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anything about anything about David personally and okay. how
1: did your friend friendship evolve from that first meeting
0: mm, I just felt like a real respect from him always so I think it didn't change I think he was open to other artists and he would give you the you know benefit of the doubt maybe I was terrible <laughs> or bad person but he didn't he didn't know he didn't judge anything he was just like okay so this guy I'll, check it out and talked about some things and worked a very little bit together but he did went on to do all kinds of other music and that i enjoyed and um he he uh i just think it was like uh i just thought it was kind of sad the last time he didn't really recognize me but my hair was a different color and he was you know that was his last show ever that he's you know he was going through a lot i was just trying to i was just happy to be there like i like I said, I'd sneak into the show. So, you know, people were going nuts in that show, too, and everything. And, uh, you know, and also meeting some fans and sharing cool memories and everything. They have, everyone has all these sagas about what they did to get there and things like this and hitchhiked or God knows what to get, where to meet him or to, What you know. do you
1: consider his best work?
0: Oof. Uh, gosh, I love, like, you know, some of the more personal, like jagged Hearted Blues and, those like very personal moments. I think it's just beautiful that people haven't heard. And and people I think are shocked with like I write the songs and things like that. How do they fall, you know? <laughs> and yeah. you know, uh yeah. I mean I think some of his best work is when he got to do his thing. I love Ricky's tune. I think that's a great song. I love that mm-hmm. song. I like uh a lot of his stuff later and I just um I, I think that uh the more I show people they're they're impressed by it. And now there's some like perspective on it. So I I, I like the more personal things like that. And um, where, cause I think that's the kind of person he was as much as he could perform for a big crowd. I think he was an intimate person and that's his voice is like talking right in your ear. That's, Mm. you know, that's the thing that I think grabs you. It's not someone yelling and screaming even though he could do that. It's someone like talking to you like a friend or talking to you in a kind of relaxed, soothing manner it's it's soothing to listen to some of the music it's calming as much as he was going through somehow he brings this like serenity or something <laughs> through the music channel through because i think what he was trying to put out at some point you know was looking for you know probably peace of mind for himself but so trying to get it through his music but that i like those kind of moments you know and that he got to meet some of his idols and work with some of them the guys from america and all that and do a paul mccartney song and Things like that i think it's pretty fun so i think that's fun but i, I like the more th- those breaking down again and they feel like, kind of like can be a little bit sad <laughs> but it's okay. it's good to listen to when you're sad to get it get it out of your system yeah. uh, but there's uplifting there's a lot of moods and feeling there's a lot of feeling in it is what i think there's a lot of feeling and heart he was, was all heart the guy was all heart so you know i saw him in a restaurant one time randomly as well and hey and he was without I p i didn't even bother him you know but anytime i've seen him you know i thought that was like kind of that's enough like I'm, he was very generous of his time and, and uh with other things too so giving me things or just you know thoughts and uh talk about all kinds of things that you wouldn't even imagine just not even about music too like about life and things and he just wanted to know about me and about other things and i think he wanted to get out of himself sometimes everything so focused on him all this you know the whole world looking at him for Picture that you're a kid, and it's like, here's everybody staring at you and now. Do be entertaining, go, you know. Mm. So, uh, you know, that's a lot for a kid, you know, bro- bro- broken home kid, you know, and, you know, really when it comes down to it, yes. you know. So, he, he, was, he was close to his mom, people didn't know his mom. I saw her at the garden show. I saw her there. <laughs> she was there. She was, we were like on the side and she was in a like like pretty close seat, not in the front, but she was in there. I saw her. How important
1: uh, looking back at David's catalog is it that his music is brought out in a deluxe box set?
0: Oh, very important because right. a lot of it could be forgotten. Yeah. And that's for for there's a lot of things because I'm you know, somewhat of a music historian. So like I said, I wrote help work with Stephen Blush wrote a book called New York Rock about the history of New York City rock and roll from the Velvet Underground era to the closing of cbgbs that kind of basically 40 year span and uh, Lost Rockers, which is a book about a group of people who are talented that, you know, didn't make it for whatever reason, but you might know them, Mm. you might not know them, but you might know their song or someone else did their song whatnot. There's a lot of revisionist history going on sometimes where if things are brought to light you forget the other things Mm -hmm. and i think it's really important that they somebody puts out that stuff again because um and repackages it in a nice way because uh there's a lot more uh archive material for photos and things like that and you can tell more details about everything what was happening at the time and somebody should write some great liner notes or something like that because he's a really important artist i think people will see more over time like what what he did you know some people didn't ever get exposed to it just the Hartridge family and maybe Cherish after that I think a lot of people don't know and then you know lying to myself was you know when he would be on MTV and things like that but started popping up in, in pop culture and I think it's very important to the art that he did not just what he looked like and who, you know not just that he was a good looking guy and which he was and charismatic which he was but the the art that he did was with great music so I think that would be very very cool to I've heard, he told me he did a lot more songs than came up, but I didn't listen to him or hear him or anything. Yeah, he told me that was, he did so many, he picked through them. I need to to
1: ask you, Tony, about having the same hairdresser.
0: Oh, right. So uh, (laughs) at one one point uh, on St. Mark's Place was um, Paul McGregor, who invented the shag haircut, and he was the first unisex uh, salon ever. And it was on St. Mark's Place in the East Village. The guy's name was Paul McGregor. He's since passed away. He did David's hair. He did, um, Joan Fonda for Clute, that haircut. Yes. And a lot of other people. And, uh, every, (laughs) every weekend, Paul McGregor would come outside and walk up and down the block with some fancy outfit and then go into the salon and cut people's hair. And I had my hair cut there a few times. And other people who cut my hair worked for him and know what, you know, his hair styles and stuff. And, uh, so it's more like uh that was the guy like then he was like a creative guy and he owned a, owned a building that my friends had a club in and all that he lived out on fire island and all this stuff and uh, he, he passed away but yeah paul mcgregor who's the guy he um yeah. cut my hair a few times and, uh oh. he was a wild guy i'll tell you that <laughs> wild. Uh, one guy that uh learned from him uh, my friend bob mcadams later cut all the hair for a kiss and rollers and uh, not David, but Frank Sinatra, uh, a bunch of people, all kinds of celebrities. But so, yeah. But everybody, you know, as a David fan has had some version of <laughs> Jack, kind of at some point. If you have, I'm just happy to have hair. Okay, happy to have hair anymore, you know, at this age. And uh,
1: but, what are your happiest memory of
0: David? Any memory of just seeing his face, you're happy. Just when you see his face, he just like he just lights you up entertains you and you take your troubles away you just go right into some other thing and escape us in a way you know you, mm. out of your head and into like a nice moment and uh certainly meeting him for sure playing music with him is like surreal like that's not even to be believed they would give me something like this or some, you know yeah. just mind-blowing that's all that's surreal but you know just happy to hear his music still you know really like it's really great music and his voice is so cool and just trying to keep in his memory alive try to tell other people about him i like when some people hear for the first time and they're like wow i can't believe this
1: when you play people his music but you don't tell them who it is and (laughs) you play play them perhaps tomorrow from home
0: oh yeah good one and they go
1: well who's that that's pretty cool and then you say oh it's david cassidy and they go never yeah
0: David Cassidy, yes, that David Cassidy. Yes. <laughs> well, there's only there was only one. Okay, so yeah, the there will only. never
1: there will never be another.
0: No, the one and only. Uh, like, often imitated, never duplicated.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, that's it. <laughs> yeah, you know that the love will always be there.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's, mm. You just feel it in the, in the music, yes. and uh, I just uh, try to think of him always in a good, good light. Tell other people about it. But I agree, you should. That's a good goal to get that music out. I mean, I have a band uh, with a friend of mine, uh, who the guy who performed at the garden before, anyway. This guy, he's been in Thin Lizzy and a number of bands, Brandy Gregg, and we've been writing a lot of songs. That we're we're gonna cover we're gonna cover a part of Trembling Song. Really? So, yeah. I'll w- I'll send it to you and uh, wonderful. When we do, I don't want to tell you which one, but it's a cool one.
1: <laughs> wonderful. Yeah
0: it's, yeah, it's a cool. It's not it's not a typical one either. I think you'll yeah. like it. Oh, so, anyway, that, yeah, we just let, love the music and keep living it. And, yeah, you know, we like we we like music and uh, having fun, and uh, we we both are we're fans of David, and of course, so. Oh, that's. I, I like he picked that song. And I said, "All right, I'll <laughs> see what I can do with that." But okay, right on. I wish more people would cover like his originals, Stephen, because like, he's got great songs. We should do one of those too, but. He didn't put boundaries for himself. Other people put them, and it would have been great. More stuff with the guys from America too. They were fantastic together. <laughs> that was great. I mean, Ricky Fatar and everybody. It's like that's. Then he was working with real world class people, but he always was. He had the wrecking crew, you know. Even he never worked with hacks. The guy was with everybody. Great, okay, the whole time. So that's really, right. yeah. but in the creative element later after Partners Family to work with those guys was definitely he was thrilled about that i know Mm. talked about that a little bit because they worked
1: with each other because he worked on america's hideaway album and they worked yeah yeah
0: they were they had mutual artistic respect that was more valuable to him than any more adulation that's what i meant by like he didn't live off a compliment like that to him was like okay these guys this is legit and and ronson that was you know okay that guy's about as good as you can get as far as musicians okay So if you get somebody like that into what you're doing, you're doing something right. So I think he was very much um, excited to be working with anyone like that. It's great. And they they were fans of his. How how
1: do you think he would react if he knew today and he was with us? How would he react to the respect and admiration that people are talking about him in?
0: I think probably be like, you know, gobsmacked, like probably like really like, I think he'd be very humbled by it. But, you know was ultimately a humble person and kind of shy really when it comes down to it a little bit shy yeah. he could be he could be shy and introspective person but he had to bring it out to be the persona you know but it was just like a regular guy under there that was trying to do it like anyone else that's really heartbreaking that's sad. that's re- that that's that special show about uh with him doing those recordings was so just that was heartbreaking to watch i just oof. I was crying. <laughs> What's that? I gotta tell you, I was brought some tears. It was just like wow, I definitely cried when I heard he passed away. I definitely shed some tears. I was really very sad. Yeah. But feel, we feel connected to him. Of course, you know, we do. I do. I feel connected to him still. I do. Mm-hmm. Still, I do. So that's why I kind of talking to you right now. You know, mm-hmm. keep it going. Keep it going. We don't want it to end. Whatever we shared with him then, we wanted to. Not, not over you know time is like we talked about time before he was in that time he was in that yes. and, uh so he said like you know because i'm a drummer also timing and time it's like time is a man-made thing you know there's only one time it's cut up by people and clocks but there's one time we spent it with him some time with him so let's kind of try to feel that you know think think about that and like a kind of a sweet way it's really yeah. he was really heart and soulful guy and it wasn't a phony baloney and a lot of people that are entertainers uh and actors and whatnot they you're not even you don't get to know them at all like they're acting one role but if you see him in real life they're nothing like that and that's their skill that's what they do but i think people really felt like they get to know him they could get close to him you know and he he was vulnerable he let the people in there to some part of his personal feelings and everything and so i think that's very endearing you know a very endearing type of celebrity it's not not very many cool celebrities anymore. he was cool Like you wanted to be like him if you were a guy then wanted to be like him or girls wanted to be with him or even girls wanted to be like him, whatever. And and, uh, I think that there was really cool celebrities and it's kind of embarrassing to be a celebrity right now, I think, to a lot of people. I mean, people make it embarrassing. They could be classy about it. There's some classy ones you don't hear about them. You hear about the scandalous nonsense things. But somebody that does a charity or helps someone, real charity isn't like, Uh, talking about that you give all this stuff it's in private and uh, behind closed doors and just give because you because you care about something I I help with some charities that's so what it's like nobody owes me for that it's like something I believe in so it's just like he's you know stood up for things he believed in and did that and unfortunately I had a really hard time towards the end of his life was just awful and uh, I always hoped for better for him honestly I hoped for more success for him and more happy times and just wasn't to be unfortunately, but we try and keep his memory alive and think of him as a, like a kind of a hero in a way, you know. Yeah. He was heroic on stage, certainly, you know. I thought, I felt as much as Elvis, I thought he was up there by himself, you know, like a kid up there by himself.
1: Yes, it takes
0: that takes some nerve, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, I saw him at Wembley in 1963.
0: Wow. wow. I mean, I was
1: just a few weeks short of my 16th birthday.
0: Wow, wow, amazing Pressure that must have made on you wow. Oh, it was. yeah um, yeah, and, obviously there's,
1: there's a story in in Cherish where oh yeah, yeah. You know, he was pulling off the tassels at the side of his suit and throwing throwing them. In. Oh,
0: I saw where the girl got where the girl got one. And she still has Yeah. yeah,
1: that was the show that I was at on the oh
0: wow you were at that show wow I've seen a lot of photos from that and so I think seen a little footage from that too oh and plenty of interviews and he sold out the most at Wembley of anybody right this is one
1: solo artist
0: yeah yeah Mm. that's right and I think people don't get that and I'm like this is serious like that's that's mega like that wasn't outdone it's like he did that yes. he touched a lot of people that's what i meant when people hysteria there so when he first went there it wasn't planned expected but when he finally hit there it was like a bombshell
1: it was manic i
0: have to sit and read every page of your book now i've like skimmed <laughs> through it a million times and read certain ones i have to read the whole thing now so i know what i'm talking about with this but it's amazing it's very well put together and you I'm glad you did it. And like I said, I just saw it in the store, like, okay. I wasn't even there for that and I just saw that and it was like a magnet to me. So I had to have that I had to get to have
2: that. Yeah.
0: Anyway, keep the partridge friendly in your heart and David keep David in your heart.
1: If you have enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, share on social media, and I would love it if you subscribed. That way you can find out first when a new episode is available. Until we connect again, stay safe, take care of yourselves and each other.